even if, jumping back in, we've got just a few weeks left uh, beforehand. Some people are asking me, when, we, when do we move into the new building? After today, we have three more Sundays in this room. That's it. Um, and so I want to say thank you for being willing to sit closely with each other. Uh, we'll always make room for people. And so we even have leaders who wait in the back in the gathering area to make sure people can sit down. So uh, still invite your friends. We still have an opportunity, even in this incredible... I'm amazed. This, this room has been occupied by Chapel Point for 12 years. That's it. And God has done wonderful things in this venue. Uh, and it's exciting to think about what God's going to continue to do as we move forward. In this series, Even If, we're walking through the book of Daniel. Um, I'm going to continue to give you more and more overview of the book of Daniel because uh, sometimes we can easily forget some things that are unfolding right in front of us. Uh, we already know it's 12 chapters. The first half of the book is a, a narrative of Daniel's life. second half of the book is about prophecies uh, and things that he was foretelling about, right, um, and speaking of. Uh, it's roughly 600 years before the time of Jesus Christ. Daniel and his friends, people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have been taken into captivity. You had the Babylonian captivity uh, or Babylonian exile, uh, which was for roughly 70 years. Uh, they would have had about a two-month journey of being taken over to Babylon and to uh, be indoctrinated with their beliefs and with their gods and with their speech and with their customs. Um, but yet what we find are some people who so love their God, their Lord, that they would not compromise their faith. We get to speak about that today when we look at Daniel chapter 3. And so I would like to invite you to go with me to Daniel chapter 3. Uh, and this is one of those infamous stories in the book of Daniel. There's two that people really kind of resonate with. And I think part of the reason is because we teach it to even our children. Uh, this one is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, so as soon as I say that, you may be going, oh, I know this story, I know this story. Well, we get to walk through Daniel, Daniel chapter 3 today to discover more insight into this story and what we're learning from these individuals about who God is and who God needs to be to us, how we need to respond to God, and if we're living appropriately according to the Word of God. Uh, there, there's a few different things that are really hard to talk about in our society. At least it, they used to be. I think they're becoming more and more... Um, I think we're growing accustomed to speaking about them more, whether we're doing it in a polite way or not. Um, some things that typically you don't talk to uh, about with strangers or people at work would be what? Um, things that you normally don't speak about. What would they be? Go ahead and call a couple of things out that you normally don't speak with your friends about unless you really know them well. What do you not talk about? Politi uh, politics. I heard religion. Um, yeah, you just nailed it. Right? Those are a couple of things that can be really questionable when we speak about them. Um, however, Dan Daniel chapter 3, guess what it's about? Yeah, go ahead and say it again. Politics and religion. And so here it comes. I mean, when you really boil it down, that's a lot of Daniel chapter 3. And so today we get to unwrap that and discover about uh, what is really happening here. Because we are struggling right now. As a country, big time. We're struggling as a world, big time. If you have an opinion about anything, that means you're wrong for having an opinion is what it feels like. Um, and we're struggling 
to know how much to say and what to say and when to say it. We're struggling to discover whether or not we can say certain things or not say certain things. And part of the struggle that we have is that right now we have a nation that is exalting our own power and our own authority and our own opinions rather than exalting the will of God. I want you to notice how carefully I'm speaking about politics and religion, even though this is about politics and religion. But that's what we're doing. And it doesn't matter um, what the opinions are. You see that in society after society that has struggled in terms of exalting their own ideologies rather than exalting God. Exalting self. And we learn about that in Daniel chapter 3 and and really even Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 2 as well that we covered the last couple of weeks. And we learn about how that also. We learn how to cope with that from Daniel and his friends because what we find is that publicly they were serving the king. Publicly they were serving the king and they, they chose not to withdraw from society. But they drew a line. They drew a line and they knew that they would not participate in idolatry. Something we've been speaking about the last couple of weeks as well. And you've got some common themes that run throughout this story. But please hear that. They drew a line and they knew where they would draw that line. And the question that you need to ask yourself is, where are you drawing your lines? And are they godly biblical lines? And where, at least in this story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall, is they drew their lines and they said, you know what, we're not going to fall into idolatry. We will not do it. Now it seems appropriately right now, we should probably take about a month to preach on idolatry. Because it's so prevalent for us today. But they made a decision. Where is your line? You go back to Daniel chapter 2. To whom, to what in your life have you given ultimate authority? That's Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it because it's really about knowing who you give ultimate authority to. There is one king. And so we jump into Daniel chapter 3, and this is what it says in the first few verses. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. Now, um, if you would, leave the passage of Scripture on there, but know this, yes, last week, Daniel chapter 2, what was happening is Daniel interpreted a dream of King Nebuchadnezzar, and not only did he tell him about what the dream was without knowing, he then interpreted it. As a result of that, King Nebuchadnezzar said what? Oh my, you have this great God, let us worship and serve him. And yet right after, we see him now doing this. He didn't give true allegiance to the ultimate king. He then summoned all of the different officials to come. So he has the satraps and the, uh, 
the, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, all of the officials, they all come to the dedication to this image that he had set up. So they all, they all come in, they come to this assembly for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. So here's King Nebuchadnezzar, he makes this massive statue. And he's really showing that his pride trumped his, his I would argue, his really temporary humiliation that he had in Daniel chapter 2. He had this momentary humiliation in, in Daniel chapter 2 of going, okay, obviously Daniel's God is, is amazing and I need to serve that God. And it was temporary. Because the size of this statue roughly would have been 90 feet tall. 90 feet tall. You're looking at maybe 30 feet tall, um, the height of this. So this height times three. Does that help? And he would have put it on the plain of Dora. The plain of Dora is this visible place that all around the region you could look up and see. And so he's going to put it right in a central place that everybody can see it. Everybody can bow down and worship. And we're going to learn very, very quickly that as soon as the people were to hear all of the instruments playing, they were to bow down and to worship. And so here he is calling everybody together. In verse 4 and following, it says, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. Now you're going, why does he have to talk about every nation, every language, all this? Well, what are they in right now? The exile. They keep conquering different territories, and what are they doing? They're bringing in people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who they're teaching their language, who they're teaching their customs and their religions, and they're bringing all of these different people in to indoctrinate them with their belief. And now he's telling them all, it doesn't matter where you're from, you give up the worship of your God, you're going to now bow down to this. tells them as soon as you hear all these instruments fall down worship the image of gold that king nebuchadnezzar has set up and whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace now that's kind of what gets in your head a little bit right there um you know that let me talk to you a little bit about all these furnaces because they would not have built a furnace just for this occasion they would not have expected anybody to stand against the decree that the king had issued to bow down and to worship the statue standing 90 feet tall on the plain of doors so everybody could see it. They would not have expected that. But what they had is they had these furnaces um, rather frequently throughout their territory, their land, because that's where they would bring the bricks and everything else to dry. So one of my friends who goes to church here, Marsha Johnson, her mother took a picture in front of one in the 1950s in Egypt. So I want you to look at this just briefly, because this will give you an understanding, an idea of what that would have looked like. Um, you see it there in the background with the smoke coming out in the 1950s. And they would have had these across the landscape for them to put all these in. So when they're speaking about this furnace, that's likely what they're speaking about. They're speaking about something like this, and it tells them you're going to be thrown into this blazing furnace. Because they're there, they're built for clay and for bricks, and they're built to be able to, to forge different things together. So here we find this happening and unfolding. 
Now, one of the things that we also discover is that Nebuchadnezzar underestimates the power of Israel's God. He already had firsthand experience in Daniel chapter 2 with this God, but he still is underestimating the power of Israel's God. Some of us have forgotten that our God is still all-powerful, miracles still exist, he still reigns on his throne, and we have forgotten that. And some of you today need to be reminded that God is still present. Nebuchadnezzar certainly needed to know that. The struggle with Nebuchadnezzar, though, is he would proclaim something, but yet he still elevated himself above God. So here's this king who, at very best, is wishy-washy back and forth. I believe I matter most, but no, I believe now, but no, wait, I still matter most. You will always struggle with who God is to you if you're struggling with who matters most. You will always struggle with who God is if you're struggling with who has top priority in your life and if you think that it's self. And King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, in Daniel chapter 3, I see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they get a lot of attention, and they should. We're about to give them a lot of attention. But we cannot skip over the fact that the majority of us, we're not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. We're Nebuchadnezzar's. Have you not ever noticed that we speak about who we desire to be and we sometimes ignore who we actually are? And who we are is sometimes we so focus on self that we forget the power of our God. What if we all came together and said, you know what, we don't matter most, our God matters most. Not only will we dream of being a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the faith and their courage, but we will be that together. Because here's King Nebuchadnezzar and he is struggling, and he's wishy-washy at best, and I don't think we see it fully unfold because here's the king who's struggling with this, but what he's saying is, hey, when it's convenient, when it's my preference, I'm going to give attention, I'm going to give honor to that God, but otherwise, no, it's about me. All this is unfolding, and some other things began to happen. All this, dec- this decree is issued, and what happens is the, the instruments are playing, and, uh, and this is Daniel chapter 3. I've, I've got to summarize some of it. Um, otherwise, we won't have a second service today because I'll still be preaching in the first service. So here all this is unfolding, and um, what happens is uh, the Chaldeans come before him, some of the, his officials, some of the rulers, and they say, hey, listen, the instruments are playing, um, but you got some of these Jewish guys, they're not bowing down. King Nebuchadnezzar says, bring them to me. And of course, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what we find here in Daniel chapter 3, verse 15, and even if you go back to 14, um, he says, listen, this is what I'm going to do. Nebuchadnezzar says to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? I think we're being asked by our culture and our society all the time, are you worshiping the images of God that we have set up? Every day in your actions, you're answering that question. 
So he says, listen, if you, when you hear the sound of all these instruments, I need you to fall down and worship the image that I've made well and good. But if you do not worship, you're going to immediately be cast into a blazing, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? This is Nebuchadnezzar saying, hey, I can do what I want. Watch this. But then it tells us in probably the most important verses, I believe, in Daniel chapter 3, which is um, verses 16, 17, and 18, it says the following. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What he says is this, even if my life is threatened, I will not compromise my convictions. Daniel chapter 3 is all about convictions. He says, even if, this is what they're calling out, even if our life is threatened, we will not compromise our convictions. Will not do it. Now, here's the kicker. You don't know whether or not you're going to compromise your convictions if you don't know what your, your, your convictions are. I've told you before, one of the questions I ask people now before they are hired here at Chapel Point is, uh, especially uh, depending upon where they are and how closely they are going to work with me, I ask them, I say, I need to know what your greatest conviction is. Can I, I think all of you should ask anybody you ever hired that question. Question number one. What's your greatest conviction? What, what that says is, what's so deeply ingrained in you in terms of belief that you're going to live by that no matter what? I want to know what that is. That's what a conviction is. See, I, want to, I want to walk through a little bit of a journey when it comes to conviction that we see unfolding in Daniel chapter 3. One, you need to know what conviction is. To me, conviction is something that, something that you deeply believe in, that you're willing to die for, something that has been proven against you sometimes. It's like, hey, there's a conviction even against you, but that's this inner belief, right? It's, it's where the throne of your heart sits. It's where you say, this is where my heart sits. This is what I so deeply believe in. And convictions, we know that convictions, they flow from what you have given ultimate authority to. Convictions flow from what you've given ultimate authority to. And so then you go back to, right, Daniel chapter 2. It's all about the ultimate king. King Nebuchadnezzar hasn't really given ultimate uh, kingship, lordship to God. He's given it to himself. And so there's this constant friction and this abrasiveness that's coming into play. So that's, a, that's what a conviction is. And then you have to ask yourself, what are your convictions? I want to give you some examples of convictions. And some of them are going to be pretty broad. And some of them are going to be more narrow and more focused. Because sometimes we speak so much in the broadness and the generalities that we never really uh, hammer it down. Okay, So um, what are your convictions? I'll give you some examples. One, that God is love. That, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. That the Bible is truth. Because otherwise you don't know what you're living by. (laughs) Another conviction would be not sexually compromising. And that can be um, in terms of those who are not married yet. You're saying, I will not do this. We know that's what what God 
that God does not desire that. But for some of you, it's even after marriage in terms of uh, pornography and everything else that comes into play. And you're saying, I will not sexually compromise. For some of you, it's that your body is a temple, and so you're going to care for it as the temple. If you really believe this is the image of God and that God wants to utilize you uh, to further his kingdom, to make his, his name made known, then you want to care for yourself, and so that's a conviction in your life. Another conviction is that all of life matters. All life matters. Maybe another conviction is that your time is actually his time. And so you know that as soon as you say, this is what I want to do, you know that you need to re-gear your thinking to say, what does God desire me to do with this time? Maybe a conviction is that my resources are his resources. The problem with Nebuchadnezzar is his conviction was that he was most important. And so then you ask yourself, what convictions then have you compromised? What is a conviction, right? What are some examples of convictions? But then what convictions have you compromised? The struggle is today that we don't live by convictions. We live by preferences until they get too hard. That's the struggle today. And here is... very direct Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if they were to have lived by preferences, we would not be speaking about them today. They didn't live by preferences. They lived by conviction. What are your convictions? Um, If you don't know, and I I need to go ahead and say this. I want to show you a video, and I need to say this because if if anybody ends up watching online, um, this will not be online. Because we can't show it online. Um, it's a video of someone that we support in this world. That's all I'm going to say. Because this part may be online. Um, we pay this person's salary. Um, this is an individual who serves churches in places that it's illegal to have churches. Isn't it cool that we get to be a part of that? And so he sent us a message about his even if. And so I want us to be able to watch this together. That's an individual that we get to support, who's been in prison, who we get to to care for and to pray for. And he's saying, even if I receive that harassment, even if the government does this, even and they've already done it to him, and he's saying, I'm not stopping. Are you living by conviction? It even comes down to church. Part of the problem that a lot of people have with church is it's a preference rather than a conviction. God ordained the church. Do you know that? He ordained it. Christ refers to the church as his bride. You don't think that he loves his bride? Uh, Today is my wedding anniversary, okay? I told my wife I would not say that, so in the second service, I won't. And neither will you speak about it. <laughs> Seriously, please don't mention it to her. <laughs> like, I know I kid around a lot. Right now, I'm not. <laughs> Blasted, I told her. I'm not going to say that. Um, man, I love her, though. Man, I love her. 
I told her, I said, man, if, if, if infatuation's bad, I'm in trouble. She knows I'm the president of her fan club. I'm still the guy who shows up at the airports with signs and saying, I love you. And she walks in like this. But after three years of marriage, we know that, um, I'm just kidding, 18. She knows it, and she's my, she's my bride. And the thing is, the way that I feel about my wife is nothing compared to the way Jesus feels about his. Nothing. We are the bride of Christ. Praise be to him. Do you treat the church with the reverence that you should? I'm going to help. It's so much fun. I have one of the greatest jobs around um, within three blocks. And one of the joys of it is I get to work with amazing people here on this staff. And we're bantering and talking about this and that with Scripture. Um, Pastor Jim and I were speaking about this the other day. I want to give you a a few steps. and It's not on your your worship guide, but I'd encourage you to write some of this down. You need, this is what I want you to evaluate with your friends later today. Where your heart sits, all right, where your heart sits, that's what really matters to you. Where your heart sits, where your heart sits, you can write that, where your heart sits leads to where you give authority. Just keep going with me, okay? Where your heart sits, that leads to where you give authority. You can do it however you want to, four different blocks, you can write, write it down. Where your heart sits leads to where you give authority. Where you give authority leads to your conviction. All right, I'll go back again. Where your heart sits leads to where you give authority. And that leads to your conviction, that deep inner belief, because that's being dictated by God because you've given him authority, and that leads to your response. That's the way you live life every day. And if you're, if you're wishy-washy on how you're living life and you're not sure about what you believe, it's really you need to go back to the very beginning, and it's because you're not sure where your heart actually sits. It certainly doesn't sit with God, but if your heart does sit with God, that's because you've given authority to him, and that's going to determine the convictions and him speaking into your life, and that's going to determine right here the response and what you're willing to do for him. That was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here they are by far in the minority, and they said, we will not have any other God. And we have abandoned God today because we've made him a preference rather than living by conviction. God is not my preference. He is my king. As soon as they speak all this, of course, Nebuchadnezzar is not happy. So it tells us in verse 19, it says, Nebuchadnezzar says, Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. So I think he was pleasantly upset prior, and now he's really upset. 
And so he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the blazing furnace. Why? Because they would not bow down to his God because they believed so deeply in their God. What are your convictions and are you willing to live by them? That's another way to speak about it is when you, you learn a lot about someone when difficulty comes up, don't you? Like when the, and, and you've heard that before uh, in terms of when pressure really comes around and starts to squeeze you, that's when people learn what you're really made of and, and what your convictions really are and what you really stand for and what you really believe in. I don't mean to be too crass, but how much does it take before you step away from God? It'll let you know where you stand with God, the type of authority you've given to Him in life. It'll let you know about the convictions that He's put onto your heart and what you're willing to live by. How much authority have you really given to God? What does it take for you to break? When life squeezes, what comes out? King's so upset that he turns the furnace up seven times hotter. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know, though, that even in the midst of that, God can deliver. Do you have even if faith? Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Do you have even if faith? When God doesn't do what you want, what type of faith do you have? I love the friendship these guys have. You know, there's, there's all different things that we can go to. When I speak on biblical, godly friendship, often people go to David and Jonathan as they should. Amazing example of friendship, godly, biblical friendship. But man, I, I got to go ahead and tell you, guys, uh, if, I, if I speak on biblical friendship in the future, I will be referencing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's one of the things that we learn about them is that... Um, Commitment does best in community. Start thinking, what if Shadrach would have been by himself? How about Meshach or, or Abednego? And I go, what if they would have been alone? What if they wouldn't have had the others with them? God gave us his... Church, God gave us community, and commitment does best in community. Some of us are always struggling in our faith, and we're not sure where we really stand. And the reason we're struggling with our faith is because we won't allow ourselves to really be a part of community because we won't be honest with the people around us, and we won't let them know, you know what, I'm struggling and I need your help. Isn't that what Daniel modeled in chapter 2? As soon as he knew he needed to interpret a dream, he goes straight to his friends and says, I need you to pray. 
And yet we know commitment does best in community. And some of us are struggling because we don't want the community. And we don't want to have to spend the time in community. And we don't want to have to give up other things in order to have godly community. And so we don't live by godly convictions. We've given them up. And we can make every single excuse in the world. We can make them up in terms of why we won't really step into community. Well, I don't have time for that. Well, that's a matter of preference. You will make time for anything that's important to you. I guarantee it. And some of you may say, well, I, you know, I, I, this is really just for me to live on, on my own and be able to figure this out. And we'll make up excuses all the time about our willing, unwillingness to jump into community. But we know commitment does best in community. And this community is bent on making sure that we honor God. And we do that best together. And that's the big question is, do you even allow for community, real biblical godly community in your life? And some people don't because that means they have to be vulnerable and they have to be honest. Maybe you've tried before, but as soon as they got real and they got personal, you're like, I'm out. Like everybody, anybody who's my friend knows that I'm really bad at talking about small stuff. It's a weakness of mine. Like, I, I'll talk about the weather for a moment, and I'm past it. I'm going to go, man, isn't the weather amazing? Hey, what's God doing in your life right now? But I know that commitment does best in community. Well, we all know, hopefully we know what happens. What we find here, after this furnace had been heated, everything blows, they get thrown in. And it tells us it's so hot that even the soldiers who are throwing them into the furnace, they burn up and die. So they get thrown into the furnace, and all of a sudden the king looks up and he says, Hey, I thought I threw three guys in there, why is there four? One had the image of an angel of God, it says, and yes, it was, and God had come to deliver them. And so here comes King Nebuchadnezzar. He steps a little closer and he calls out, Hey, come out! Come out of there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego! And so here comes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God delivered them. We find later on, verse 26 and following, the king realizes that not even his gods could do such a thing. And so then he elevates the God of the Jews above his own gods. But once again, not above himself. It tells us in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives. They were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. One of my greatest prayers is uh, that today would not be, hey, we get to hear about a cool story, but that it would actually create life change, that you would want to apply it to your own life. And so these are, I want to give you a few things I'd like you to do. 
always good to have a little bit of homework. Right now, all the men, people, the, the guy and the men of influence on Wednesday night, they're doing, I think it's uh, 50 push-ups a day. Got to have a little bit of homework, right? Three next steps. I got three next steps for you moving forward if today matters for you. One, I'm going to encourage you to write down your three primary convictions. And you're going to go, I don't know how to do that. I just want you to write down the three primary convictions you have in life. The three things, here's another way of thinking about it. That still may confuse you a little bit. What are the three things that you give most authority to? Maybe you can understand that better. Maybe that connects a little bit better. I just, I'd like to encourage you to do that. It'll be powerful. for Even if nobody else knows that you do it, um, it'll be powerful for you to be able to do that, to examine that. Um, of course, I'm saying even if nobody knows that you do it, the, the second thing I'm asking you to do is share with a friend how your conviction is being tested. How is your conviction being tested? And then lastly, deals with how I'd like to conclude today. I'm going to invite you to repent of convictions not held to. I want you to think about this for just a moment. We're going to just have an opportunity to respond to this. Every one of us, I'm convinced, probably has sacrificed a conviction in our life at some point or some time. Something that you know that maybe God doesn't want you to do, but you did it anyway. And then later on, you even said, God, aha, I can do better, and you struggle with that. I think the road to really wanting to surrender all authority to God comes when you recognize His ways really are greater, and you're willing to repent of anything that you're doing in your life, to hand it to him, to say, God, please forgive me. Give me the courage. Give me the strength to move forward. And that's where it begins. So I want to give you an opportunity today to repent. Something we don't do very well together, even in community. We'd much rather just say, oh, everybody makes mistakes. I'll get better. I want to give us that opportunity this morning. And as you just listen to the beginning of this next song, I'd like to invite you to spend some time before God repenting. If you need to come forward for that, you may. If you need to bow down on a knee where you are, you may. If you need to stand and raise a hand before God, you may. But sometimes when we repent, of that that we have given up that was of God is when we can then truly stand in the power of God. Let's pray together.